Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. How's everybody doing today? Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is Ryan Tansom, your host. Um, Today's episode is probably my favorite one so far. I've got to interview Bo Burlingham, who you've probably heard me talk about in some of my earlier episodes if you've been following along. Um, Absolutely honored to have him on the show. He is an author of Finish Big, which is one of my favorite books and pretty much started the entire journey that I'm on right now. Street Smarts, which is probably the best overall business book I've ever read. Small Giants, another great one. And then he has two other ones with Jack Stack. One is uh, The Great Game of Business, and the other one is Stake in the Outcome. Um, This interview with Bo, we touch on a lot of different stuff. It's a little bit longer than the other ones, but I absolutely loved it. Um, We really get into some really meaty topics about two-thirds of the way, so hang tight in there. And I hope you love this interview as much as I do. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Valley Advantage. The Valley Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want to who you want for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. Without further ado, here's my interview with Bo. Why don't you give our listeners uh, a little bit of an excerpt of why you decided to write Finish Big? Because that was one of the biggest things that intrigued me when you had said, you know, how you came to the conclusion that it was worth filling a void, uh, you know, your voice was... Um, out to be heard because there was a void in the market? Well, you know, it was, I, I think I explained this in the introduction. It was, it was basically, um, you know, I'd been at Inc. for uh, many years. Like I, I, but when I started working on it, I think it was something like 25 years. Um, and uh, uh, Inc. never really looked at exits, um, never talked about it, never wrote about it. Um, and in, in that, I think that the magazine sort of reflected its readership because if there's one thing entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs don't like to think about and talk about it's, it's the end of the journey. It's the exits. And, um, um, so that changed when, uh, Norm Brodsky, you know, you know, who I do the column with in Inc, mm-hmm. um, came back from a conference where and told me that um, he had met somebody, private equity firm that was wanted to buy his company, and that he'd uh, named a couple of conditions, and which he thought might be deal breakers, and yet they didn't have a problem with them at all. And so, um, you know, I said to him, maybe we should start writing about this in the magazine, and he said, sure, why not? Now, of course. In in in, the, in retrospect, there were many reasons why not. To do <laughs> I was it. just going to say that that like, I get the fact that he just like jumped on board with that is kind of unique. <laughs> yeah, it was very unique, and uh, 
uh, I have to say that the prospective buyers weren't all that thrilled no with the, <laughs> the decision. Um, but we, um, we, so we started doing this weekly series in Inc. Uh, called the Offer, not we, not weekly, monthly series called the Offer, in which we, um, uh, you know, we wrote about exactly what was happening in as close to real time as you can get in a monthly magazine. And, you know, we went through um, his whole perspective on it and what his emotions were and, uh, you know, his very mixed emotions about the possibility of selling this business that he'd spent most of his adult life building and uh, wondering what it was going to be like afterwards and all that. Um, And uh, at one point we had asked our readers... um, if they could give him advice about what he should do. And we were just flooded with emails, almost all of them saying, go for it, Norm, you know? Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, he, he did at finally decide, yes, okay, he was going to go through with the deal. And, um, that was, that was a, a, a that was a, a big deal for the magazine and in fact, the editor of the magazine decided it was such a big deal that she would put Norm on the cover with a cover line saying, Norm decides to sell. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so that, that, that was the uh, issue that was coming out. And then we still had to do one, you know, given the, the uh, production cycle of magazines, it's, you, you have to do things. Uh, sort of in advance. So in any event, uh, right after that came out, I um, a couple of weeks later, I called him up and said, okay, well, what are we going to do for the next column? And he told me, well, actually, I decided not to sell. I said, Norm, we just put out uh, uh, on the front cover of a national magazine that you've decided to sell. He said, well, he, he said, and he was, I think, as shocked as anybody I was certainly shocked, but he was shocked at, that he'd actually made this decision. And, and uh, I asked him what happened, you know, and he said, well, uh, there'd been some key information that he hadn't been uh, get privy to until the very end, namely who was the key decision maker uh, among the buyers. And it turned out to be the the person who he trusted least. And there had been all kinds of commitments that had been made as to how his employees would be treated, various other things as well. And uh, he realized that he, he, he could no longer trust them to uh, fulfill their, you know, to live up to their promises. And so... Given that situation, given that he didn't trust them anymore, he didn't want to go th- forward with the deal. So, um, which is amazing, by the way. Sorry to, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. I want to put a little uh, emphasis on this because you know, I you know one of the times we tried to sell our business in uh, the 08, 09 ish time, and a lot of people say once the sale train is kind of going, they they just uh, pretty much just you know, blindly go with it. So for, for him to be on the cover of a, of an ink magazine and right. pull the tra- and, and pull back is absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, 
it was amazing. Uh, and, and I think he was actually shocked as well when I talked to him about it. It was like, you know, I, I said, you know, I can't believe you did this. And he would say to me, well, I can't believe I did it either. Um, but that's crazy uh, courage because, you know, that just yeah, proves, really. proves, proves to everybody out there that you're not on the cover in Inc. magazine. You still can say no. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and um, so anyway, uh, we, we wound up not, you know, from that point on, he did, you know, wind up selling a majority stake in his business. And, and there was a whole process that happened after that. But we didn't write about it in the magazine because I think by that point he realized that that there was a downside to writing it in the magazine. Um, and so we didn't write about it actually until after it had happened. But basically the response that we'd gotten from readers while we were doing it uh, made me realize that there was this sort of hunger out there and curiosity among people about, well, what is this experience like? And I did some research uh, online to look and see what was out there. And the fact is, is that there's little, if anything, out there that's actually about the experience of going through the exit. Um, you know, there's a lot of things out there about, you know, how to make sure that you get the most money and so forth. And I'm sure that a lot of that is actually very good and, and important and helpful to people. But... Uh, there's almost nothing about the experience. And so I talked to my publisher about it, and uh, he thought it was actually a good thing to do, good thing to write about. So I, we, you know, we d developed an understanding uh, about that I was going to go forward with it. And, uh, and so I'm, there I am, and one of the first things I realized is that other than what I knew about Norm's experience, I really didn't know anything about this. You know, it wasn't something that I'd, I'd been aware of before I'd written. Norm and I had done this series of columns. What was the thing that, uh, was there a specific story or experience or interaction you had with someone that kind of realized how much you didn't know about it? No, I, I, I figured that out pretty quickly on my own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I realized, well, look, I've got to, the first thing I have to do is I have to educate myself. And uh, I began, you know, asking people for um, stories, if they could introduce me to people at stories. I had a, had a friend who ran a Vistage chapter um, here in the Bay Area. And uh, I asked him if he would mind sort of putting out the word to Vistage chairs around mm -hmm. the country. He said he was very happy to do that. And I began hearing from uh, from companies and from Vistage shares about companies that I that I would look into because they had good stories. And so, you know, I followed up. I did somewhere between 100 and 150 interviews. Um, What's your and, favorite? What was your favorite one? That's hard to say. They they, they were every single one of them was unique. Um, every single story was unique and, uh, there were, there were happy ones and there were not happy ones. And, uh, um, I, I, I'd have a hard time citing a favorite one. There was one that I did, which is actually the opening chapter of the book. Um, and, uh, 
that one I actually did in person. I, I, I did a little bit online with Ray. But in any event, I decided that I really wanted to go see him and, you know, see in person what was going on. Um, and Was he the one that, with the security system? His his company, yeah, had the security system, the, the cameras. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I went to see him, he had he had, he'd sold the company, and you know he was on his boat, and uh, he took me on a, a which was sort of his reward that he'd given himself. Nice for having done this. A beautiful boat, by the way. <laughs> I and, bet. <laughs> and uh, and he he was actually sort of sheepish when he sort of showed me around the boat, like he was a little embarrassed at <laughs> how nice it was. Um, <laughs> And uh, uh, in any event, I went to see him, and, 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 you know, the thing that really struck me in, in his story was that it had actually turned out so well for him. Um, you know, here, here he had he'd originally gotten an offer, and he'd gone to actually his Vistage chair, and uh, the Vistage chair had... Uh, said, well, you know, you can probably get a, a much better offer if you take some time and make some changes in your business. And he decided to take that advice, and he did make some significant changes in his business and how he ran his business, because up to then he was sort of the, the typical entrepreneur, you know, the benevolent dictator. <laughs> and And he... Uh, really sort of had to change things to get more people involved and, uh, you know, to really um, try and implement some best practices. And he was, he was, it was hard. It was hard because part of that involved letting people uh, voice what it, everything that they sort of felt in every way that they felt he'd, he was falling short and he had to sort of sit there and, and listen to it and, and and try to understand it and, you know, figure out what to do about it. And uh, uh, so that took a lot of courage on his part. Do you think Do you think that it takes, um, and, and we can, because I think you kind of sp uh, specified this in your book a little bit, but do you think it takes an LOI or a random offer or something to awaken the owner to to have or accept this feedback or kind of change their direction? Um, for some people, yes. Um, there are, it, you know, it, it, it depends a lot on the individual, but Ray was somebody who'd been going on, he was getting along in years, and he knew he, it, he'd reached an age where it had dawned on him that he was not, in fact, going to live forever. And he also had a uh, a son with some uh, serious disabilities, and he wanted to uh, spend more time with him. And he, he, you know, he was thinking about the things that he wanted to do with the rest of his life. And when this uh, offer came along, it was like, well, you know, I really ought to, I, I really ought to pay attention to this. I, I mean, if he if he'd had that offer 20 years earlier, 15 years earlier, he might not have paid attention to it. Yep. 
So kind of more the timing and the life cycle of the person and the business and a lot of other combinations combined, huh? Yes, exactly. And, um, and, and, and the thing also that struck me was, I mean, he'd made some, one of the changes that he'd made was to set up sort of a phantom equity, uh, uh, a system in his company, uh, so that the, uh, employees would all, you know, benefit from whatever sale happened. Now his employees didn't know what to make of this. Most of, most of them, you know, just, I, I talked to some of them and they, they all said that it was just sort of a little weird because this was in, in contrast to the way that he had run the company up until then. But in fact, he, he did change his whole management style and people saw that and people's responsibilities changed and uh, there were other things that happened that, you know, were fortuitous in terms of uh, improving the value of the company. In any event, uh, he worked on this for four years uh, before he, you know, was felt he was really ready to sell. And in in the end, he, he, he got um, a, a significant multiple of what the original uh, offer had been. I think it was uh, four times what the original offer had been. Holy buckets. Four, and, year, four years and four times. I'd say that's a pretty good return. <laughs> it was pretty good. And, and partly it had to do with what he had done in the company. And partly it had to do with his timing, you know, because things had changed in the, uh, in the wider world. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened to be, uh, he happened to, you know, wind up selling at a point where, um, you know, the market was very good for a company like his. and uh, Which you can never always foresee. It's kind of just, that's more luck of the draw than anything, right? Well, yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, because, you know, a lot of advisors or professionals or other business people, or owners, when they're on the golf course, everybody focuses on the multiple or how much they got, et cetera, right? I mean, and one of the the biggest things that my dad and I related to, and like you said, uh, I saw myself in your book was that it isn't all about the money, and there is a lot of other things that you know the owners have to do to quote unquote finish big. So, can you kind of? Give us a little bit of a rundown uh, well, and our listeners. That, uh, that was one of the things about Ray Pagano because, you know, when I had when I sat down to write, and by then I'd done lots and lots of interviews, I, I wanted to open with somebody who'd actually had a good exit. Got it. And, Got it. And, and one of the things about Ray that made his exit a good exit was that he was very proud of the fact that whenever he went back to the company, his his former employees were very welcoming and had very warm feelings toward him and, you know, really totally welcomed him and, and you know, were obviously wishing him well. And they had good feelings about, about it. And for him, that was a very significant thing. Um, it doesn't always happen that way. And... Uh, but it was very important for him in, in that it gave him and what I don't even think he appreciated how important it was because it gave him peace of mind about what had happened to the other people who had been on the journey with him. 
And when I actually sat down, you know, I, I would say when I began my interviews, the, the, the most striking thing was that I began running into lots of people who were very, very unhappy. I mean, I would say that it was about half and half in terms of people that I interviewed, although other people who have more experience in this area than I do say it's more like 70-30. It's 70% are unhappy afterwards. And, um, um, and, and, you know, when I found that, I said, well, that's obviously the book I need to write. What's the difference between the ones who wind up happy and the ones who wind up unhappy? And, uh, um, so that's what I was, and one of the things I had to do once I decided that was the book I needed to write, I had to ask myself, well, what do I mean by happy accent? Mm-hmm. And I came up with, you know, four, when I looked at the people who'd uh, had, the, the people I'd interviewed, I'd, I realized that there were um, at least four characteristics of a good exit. And for some people, there was a fifth one as well. The first one was that they felt that the process had gone, you know, they'd been through a fair process and they'd gone gotten a reasonable uh, reward for the work that they put into building the business. Um, the, the, second, the second factor was that they, had, they could look back on what they had done and feel a pride in knowing that they had actually built something of value that had contributed something positive to the world and that they could feel pride about what they had done. Their, their feelings were not colored by, you know, other things. Um, and then the third characteristic was that, um, and it was very important, was that they were at peace with what had happened to the other people who'd been on the voyage with them. And since nobody builds a, a company, at least a sellable company, on their own, and um, and and I and I could see that a lot of people were very very troubled afterwards by what had happened to their former employees or partners mm-hmm. or or their customers, and um, then the fourth characteristic was that they'd found something afterwards that they could really become engaged in, and. Uh, you know that, that that something that they could do afterwards that was you know gave them a life after the business um, as opposed as opposed to sort of drifting around not sure what to do uh, or who they were anymore, which happened with some people. So that was the fourth cat and a very important one. The the fifth was which wasn't true of everybody, but it was true of some people was that they could look back uh, at look, their, their companies were going on without them and, and doing and doing well, which uh, sort of gave them a, a sense of a legacy that, that they'd it. actually built something that could last after them. Uh, those, and I've, I've, I found that those four or five uh, qualities were a uh, defined for almost everybody what a, what a good exit was. If you were missing just one of them, 
you could have a you would you could have a very bad exit. Um, you know, if if you felt that you know the process hadn't been fair and you wound up getting screwed, well, you'd be upset about that. If you if you were so conflicted about what was happening that you couldn't look back with pride on what you'd done before, that that could ruin everything for you. If your uh, if your employees were getting screwed afterwards, that would be a something that would make you very unhappy. And if you weren't able to figure out what to do afterwards, that was a very common one and, um, you know, could could make for a very unhappy exit. And for some people, if if their customers were, were not what they had, um, or if their, if their companies, you know, either went out of business or were not doing uh, as well as they would have liked, then that could make for an unhappy exit. Well, it's but, interesting because, uh, you know, your, your four to five characteristics, you know, what I see in a lot of them is, you know, all the owners that I know and all the, the reason that I started my business or my dad or anybody that I've talked to, it's you you start your company for freedom and control, right? And so right. Th- there's such as an incentive or like a crazy sense of making sure that you're always trying to predict or envision the future and then trying to control whatever chaos that you've got in front of you. And, you know, all of those characteristics are showing that they either didn't envision something that they saw coming or it wasn't on their terms because they weren't able to essentially quarterback it. And there's so many, so many variables when you're doing the exit that it's, you know, hard to be, they don't do this all the time. I think you said that in your book a couple of times. Yeah. Well, um yes well that's 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 very true ryan um I think that you know then when I actually looked at the specifics of how people who had happy what people who had had happy happy exits had done in order to wind up with those you know four or five characteristics um, you know one of them for sure was that, and in fact, in many ways, the most important one was that they'd given themselves enough time to go through the entire process. Uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, went into it and became, and were actually totally unprepared for what lay ahead of them. And, um, and because they hadn't given themselves enough time and they hadn't actually gone through the whole, uh, process. I mean, that's a whole other issue because mm-hmm. uh, it, it really forced me, even though I'd been at Inc. and written about lots and lots of entrepreneurs and met lots of lots of entrepreneurs, it was sort of a revelation to me that the whole way that I had thought about the, the process that you go through when you start or you buy a company and that I had sort of the wrong idea about it. And the whole way that I looked at an exit, I had the wrong idea about that too. And, um, I had to really revise those. And, and once you, I mean, I can talk about how I revise them. I mean, one of the things I realized that was that when we talk about building companies, that's exactly the way we put it. The, right. <laughs> the, the process is about building a company, which is 
um, you know, as if it's sort of a construction project, the goal of which is to wind up with a great company at the end. And what I realized was that when you start or you buy a company, you become an owner, that in fact, you know, it's not a construction process, it's a journey. And like every journey, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the end isn't when you build that company. The end is when you leave that company. And that that required you to sort of think about the whole process in a different way, um, a way that, that many people aren't aware of and aren't thinking about what they're doing when most people are not thinking about it. Most people are focused on, let's see if we can build something that will be viable and that will, you know, allow me to, um, they think about what will happen. They think about wanting to, to, to start a company that's going to succeed in the sense that it will uh, allow them, provide them with an independent source of income. And, uh, but it's kind of like going back, going back to your construction process. Like, like when do you stop building? Like when it when do you like open the front door and get to live in it, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and go ahead. Yeah, and 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 so so that was one of the big revelations to me was that the whole way we think about um, the process that an entrepreneur goes through was was flawed, um, or at least the way I was thinking about it was flawed. You know, it's interesting. I, I um, talked to this gentleman. He was actually on uh, my podcast a couple of interviews ago, and um, he told me that he goes, it's kind of like, you know, your your parents are telling you how to live your life, and you're like, yep, 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 yep. I, you know, you'll understand when you have kids, and then all of a sudden you have kids, and you're like, ah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he right. said it's just like that, where until you've sold your company, you don't really understand. You can have all these people tell you it, but you don't really get that that's that completes the journey on that one spectrum. Right, exactly. So I got to... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead, Ryan. So I got an interesting question for you, Bo, because um, a, your few books that, you know, The Finish Big, Street Smarts, Small Giants, and The Great Game of Business are like some of my absolutely favorite business books. And the one thing that I keep going back to because, um, you know, it kind of revolves around that number four and the title of this podcast of life after business is how and actually what Ali and Andrew do at Orange Kiwi is the the there's so much role identity fusion with the business owner and their company right and you you uh, had mentioned it a lot in small giants where you know you're talking about these companies that are just beautifully healthy and their cultures and their communities and how what it takes to be a small giant and you you constantly go back to uh, it, it, I'm wondering can you be a small giant and finish big and I I'm hoping you can say yes and I believe that you will but the reason I want to ask that question Bo is because I see entrepreneurs as as artists right where you got like I'm building a business right, right now and my dad did and the people that I hire reflect me how I get my customers reflects me everything is essentially me you know throughout the business and so. How can you step away and then start to look at your business like an investment vehicle, which you had mentioned that John Warlow does a fantastic job at that. And how can you have both? You know, How can you go in and love and have the passion for your company like you want to and have a small giant and then finish big? Is that too Well, much? you put your finger on something that is 
very of great interest to me, actually, because I have to say that when I that writing Finish Big was one of the most educational sp- experiences I've ever been through as a journalist, because uh, I, I found out so many things about entrepreneurship that I didn't understand before. And, you know, basically, the the people who build small giants face the same challenge that everybody else does. I mean, every entrepreneur exits their business. You know, they may exit feet first, but they're going to leave one way or another. And I did have a chapter in Small Giants where I talked about how, you know, in fact, most of the companies that I had written about were not prepared for what was going to happen. And, um, uh, you know, by writing for, after I'd written Finish Big, you know, I went back and thought about all those because I I actually knew edition of Small Giants just came out with, um, with two new chapters. Yeah, I, I, and, I recently reread it, and it's uh, interesting because you went back and visited some of them, huh? Yeah, right. And things had happened. You know, it, it was a very uh, the ten years was a, a very eventful ten years. We went through the Great Recession, among other things, and obviously that affected everybody. And um, but it also got me to think about, you know, this question that you just raised, namely. Um, how does this, what I learned in Finish Big, in writing Finish Big, how did that affect the, you know, a company that is basically, you know, aiming to create this sort of uh, a great company? I mean, is that great company going to, uh, I mean, a lot of people ask me when I went out talking about uh, small giants, you know, the, almost every time I spoke, somebody would raise their hand and say, you know, it's you know they they love the stories that I told. But they said it sounds like that the um, the leader is extremely important. Right. <laughs> um, right. Is is are these companies capable of remaining great after that leader isn't around anymore? And it was a really good question that people were asking me, and you know I answered it honestly, which is. You know, not necessarily. Um, uh, the conflicts, you know, you, it's so crazy because I, I, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, there are some of the stories, you know, it's it's funny because you go back and forth. You, you want the, you know, then John Warlow's eight key drivers. You want to make sure you're not the hub of the spoke. But then you go to Norm Brodsky and, uh, um, and City Storage and he was calling customers. And that's why, you know, it was his personality throughout his whole company that allowed it to become what it is. And so, I, I mean, I look at when my dad's business, you know, started shaking and having the, the wheels kind of um, rumble is when he disappeared, you know. And so right. how do you take and take the charisma and the personality and breathe it into the business and then walk away? I just don't know. Well, when I will say this is that when I was writing Finish Big, I made it a point of trying to find businesses that had exceptional cultures uh, like the small giants and that had managed to remain those, to retain those exceptional cultures through at least two changes of ownership and leadership. Interesting. Okay. 
Um, in other words, I could see how I, I could find companies that had, had, had succeeded in doing it through one change, but to do it through two changes, that really, so that because the second time, it's going to be very far removed from the founder. And, you know, is it, is it going to remain a, an exceptional company the second time? And, you know, the fact is, is that the only companies I could find where that was the case were either family businesses or employee-owned businesses. Oh, um, crazy. Uh, and, you know, when I thought about it, I realized that, well, that's probably because the culture sort of needs a guard, needs guardians. Mm-hmm. And in one case, the guardians are the family. In the other case, the guardians are the employees. Um, I will say this is that one of the things when I talk to, to companies, to small giants, uh, or people who aspire to be small giants, uh, the way I talk to them has changed as a result of writing Finish Big. One of the things I say to them is there are questions that you need to ask yourself early on, like, are you building a company that's going to last after you? Uh, or do, is that something you care about? Um, if it is, if, if you're building a company that you want to make into a great company and you want it to remain great after you're gone, there's a whole process that you have to go through, which is extremely difficult, but it, and it's extremely important to begin thinking about it at a very early stage of the business. The person who has attacked that best, at, you know, who I write about and finish big, is my friend Jack Stack at uh, SRC Holdings. He's reaching a point right now where he, he's already sort of told the company uh, approximately when he's leaving. It's not just him. It's the, the, the other people in the company, and there are many key people in the company who are his age, and they will all be moving on around the same time. And, you know, so to prepare for that, there are all kinds of things he has had to do, and he's basically taken him – I mean, I've known him for – you know, 30 years and has taken him, um, he's been working on it for, for 30 years, uh, to try to get to that point. And I think he's got a good shot at it actually right now. But, um, in, in, in watching what he has done to try to prepare for this and to try to prepare the company for it has really made me appreciate what a difficult process that is. I, you know, I say to people, uh, the most challenging thing in business is not, you know, I always thought it was to build a great company. Um, but I've now realized that the most challenging thing in business is to build a great company that remains great after you're gone. Uh, I, yeah, that's about sums it up, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it is. What do you think is the most challenging? Is it? Is it? I mean, the emotional piece of it, right? Because I mean, I the, there's so many financially driven entrepreneurs out there, right? And once they know right. where to focus on the financial piece or their customer concentration, all that is very tactical, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything, whether it's Jack or Norm or some of these guys that you or, or gals that you've talked to, that what have they done on the emotional side to help their bridge that? Um, or make that journey easier? Um, well, Norm, you know, he specifically did not 
you know, it, for him, it, it he was not building something that he wanted um, to go on the same way as he'd run it after him. Uh, that 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 he, what his hope, uh, and, you know, he thought about it, and his hope was that the people who had worked at City Storage would would have learned things and taken things that they could then take to other companies where they went afterwards, but that basically he didn't feel that he was building a company that was going to last indefinitely and be run the way, you know, and have the same kind of culture and the same way of doing business uh, that uh, he'd had that, you know, that had been when he was running it. Uh, Jack uh, is, is different in that, um, Basically, his idea all along was to give the next generation the kind of opportunities that he'd had. And that meant a lot asking people what they wanted. You know, there were choices along the way. Did they want to go public? That was a possibility. Um, Did they want to sell uh, parts of the business to um, a private equity firm? That those were possibilities along the way. And, you know, he just made sure that he just kept sort of throwing it back at the employees and asking them and, you know, putting together groups that would that would actually ponder these questions about well, what did they want to do. And the answer that always came back to him over and over again was, well, we sort of like what we've got right now and we'd like to keep it going. And so that message uh, was very clear to him, and he said, okay, you know, he was going to focus on trying to uh, set up a system uh, that was able to last beyond him. And one of the things that he said, I mean, because I had many discussions with him about this, um, I, I asked him, is it possible for uh, a very people-oriented culture to last beyond the individuals who created it. And his answer was that he felt the answer was yes, if you had a hard culture uh, as opposed to a soft culture. And what he meant by that was when he meant a soft culture, he said a culture that is totally dependent on the, you know, the good, the goodwill and fatherly instincts of the person at the top. He doesn't feel that that is capable of going on. If, on the other hand, you actually have a system, a way of running the company that um, leads to, that creates the culture, that, that well, that's different. That is, that does have the potential to go on. And, you know, that's where he's focused his, his attention, you know, from the very beginning, which was building, uh, uh, as he puts it, a business of business people, uh, people who... Um, you know, who know how to run a business and who can make the difficult business decisions that have to be made. They aren't exclusively depending on him to make those decisions. In many cases, they're making those decisions themselves. Obviously, he's one of them, so he's helping to make those decisions. But, you know, he's he's very uh, focused on making sure that he's not the only one involved in that. There are other people. 
he, he, like what Jack did, it, I mean, was way ahead of its time because isn't he like pretty much the father of open book or open book management? And what yeah. I what I loved about your guys' book was, I mean, in what he did was call on everybody else like hey guys we're all kind of in a heap of trouble here's how you read financial statements so whether it's the guy in the warehouse or you know your accounts receivable staff or the salesperson everybody is looking at the same scorecard because there's no reason you know i think what the biggest yeah we were victim of it too where you know you feel like as the owner you're the one that should hold all the, the burden and be alone and be looking at the scorecard by yourself when Everybody else is, they're technically your teammates. Right. Well, you know, you might want to be interested I, <laughs> in another book, uh, the one that sort of gets overlooked. Um, it's the second book that I wrote with Jack Stack called A Stake in the Outcome. A Stake in the Outcome is more of the story of what happened. And it includes a lot of the really difficult challenges that uh, came up along the way. Um, the, 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 you know, the, the, there were a lot of, at various points, uh, you know, crises that had to be overcome in order to do this it, it, and uh, in order to build the company that they have in fact built. And that story is told much more in a stake in the outcome than in the great game of business. The great game of business is really just laying out the system. Um, the, uh, the a stake in the outcome is is as as the subtitle puts it, building a culture of ownership, um, and it's it's uh, it's. It's, it's the it's, the raw story. <laughs> yeah, right. It, 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 right, the hard parts. Um, I could keep going on for hours, Bo. I love it. <laughs> okay. So, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, you know, if there's one, you know, because our listeners are made up of the people that you interviewed in all your books, you know, if there's one takeaway, one thing we haven't chatted about just yet, what would you leave with? What would you leave them with? Well, the people I mainly write about and the people I think who mainly uh, are, my, are the readers of, of the things that I write, um, a, a, at least the ones who like what I write, are people who are building their own, co- their own companies. They're entrepreneurs. And um, I would say that the most important thing um, to understand I mean, there are a lot of things that I, I, should, I would sort of advise somebody to do, one of which is sort of the idea at, uh, behind um, small giants, namely, what exactly is it that makes a company great? I think that, you know, when you look at the companies in small giants, that's really the question that they put on the table, you know, and different people will have different answers to that question. But it's a question that everybody should be asking. Mm-hmm. What what are you looking for out of, why are you doing what you're doing? What are you looking for out of business, out of work, out of life? Um, and, and, and what does it mean to you if, if, if your goal is to build a great company? Well, what exactly does that mean to you? Um, and, you know, in Small Giants, I suggest what, what, you know, the people I write about, 
how they answered that question. It wasn't always identical in every case, um, but there were some, you know, similarities. Um, and I think that that's a very important question for people to ask. But I think that if, if I, you were to really press me and to, to say what I think is the most important thing, and I would say I'm, it's very affected by what I learned in writing Finish Big, namely that you're on a journey and that that journey is going to end, and that you need to think of it as a journey, not as a construction project. Construction project may be one of the things you do. It will be one of the things you do in the in the course of the journey, but it's important to understand that that the journey, it goes on beyond that. Um, you know, and, uh, and, you, and you have to, sort of think about the not only you have to think about what happens in the journey you also have to think about how the journey ends and what's going to happen after the journey are you going to have another journey that's fine are you uh in fact uh building is your journey about building this great company that's going to last after you that's fine too is it or is it about um you know building a company and then selling it for as much money as possible. And I, I don't make any value judgments about that. I think that that's a, first, that's a fine thing to do if that's what you really want to do. Um, but the important thing is to, is to be clear in your own mind. Well, as I say in both Finish Big and in Small Giants, to be clear in your own mind about who you are, what you want, and why. I think that, that I have found in the course of however long it's been that I've been writing about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial companies, the most important quality is something that is probably an important quality for everybody, everybody, uh, whether they have companies or not, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, namely to really understand who you are, what you want, and why. That's not always an easy thing to do. Uh, in fact, it's it's a very hard thing. Most most of us spend our entire lives trying to figure that out. You know, the great poets um, and playwrights and philosophers and everybody <laughs> and philosophers, right? Have 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 written about the importance of of you know the struggle. You know, the the proper as Alexander Pope put it, the proper study of mankind is man, um, meaning ourselves. Um, and then the man's search, man's uh, search for meaning. You ever read that book? Yes. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Another one. Yep. That figures right into it. Well, the um, the intrinsic reflection of who you are is a lot more difficult than just uh, quarterly reports, isn't it? <laughs> it? It sure is. And and the other thing is that you know when you get to be my age, you realize that a lot of the times it's it's during the the really tough times that you find out who you are and you find out um, what it is that really matters to you. And, you know, that's a whole process. As I say, it's something that you probably spend your whole life doing, but it's something that you need to be conscious of that, that this is a, a challenge that lays ahead of you um, and that you need to be working on and thinking about because you know, what I found with Small Giants was that uh, all the companies, all the uh, 
entrepreneurs who owned the companies uh, that I wrote about were people who had very clear ideas of who they wanted and who they were, what they wanted and why, because they couldn't have made the decisions uh, that they did if they if if they hadn't. Particularly, you know, when people are telling you, a lot of people, if you don't know who you are, what you want and why, what you wind up doing is what other people think you should do. <laughs> right. Listening uh, to all the other voices that are just, your gui- exactly. that are sort, sort of guiding you. And, and it was also very important with the uh, people in Finish Big, the people I wrote about in Finish Big. Um, you know, again, you know, the way people get into trouble is if they are really unclear about what it is, what it is that's motivating them. I tell the story of Bruce Leach, of, uh, who was one of the founders of Evolve in Chicago, and how he basically wound up selling uh, a, a, a large chunk of his company to a private equity firm without actually figuring out, well, what was it that he liked about his company? Um, and not after that, I bet. <laughs> yeah, he did. He It took him a while, but he eventually discovered that he, what it was that he was missing. And, you know, that's going to happen. So, well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's, uh, it's an honor because I just love your work so much. Well, I, I love the questions you ask, Ryan, and I love your story, too. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I hope you've told that in one of your podcasts. Maybe you should, t- maybe you should interview your father in one of your podcasts. Yeah, it's, uh, there, there's, <laughs> there's not enough oxygen in the room for both of us to talk. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well thanks for coming on the show, Bo. I appreciate it. It's really my pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.